the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. The Jewish Hour can now be heard on jcastnetwork.org, your portal to Jewish broadcasting. It's also on iTunes and on your smartphone using the Stitcher app. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finman. We've got a wonderful show for you today. Sit back, relax, and just take in this wonderful spring morning. <laughs> yes, indeed. In this half hour of the show, we'll be doing a rebroadcast of Professor Nathan Aviezer, who was here last November, talking about science and Torah. So we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, science and Torah. Yes, leave a listen in. We have lots of wonderful a cappella music. We'll be doing a cappella music until the beginning of May. We have insights into the portion of the week, which is Acharimos Kedoshim. We get a double header again, chapter 3. 16 from the book of Leviticus and further a very inspiring story I must say of modern era and before we do anything else let's go right to the news the Shin Beit Israel's FBI exposed a Hamas-linked terrorist cell that was behind recent violence on the Temple Mount. Among the attacks it carried out was a firebomb attack on police officers in which nine people were injured. Ten members of the cell have been arrested. Turkish police arrested 12 members of an al-Qaeda cell in Turkey that planned to bomb a synagogue in Istanbul and the U.S. Embassy in Ankara. Police seized 50 pounds of explosives. A man from Gaza managed to get past several layers of IDF security and reached the Israeli city of Nativot. This is very disheartening. The man was unarmed and apparently did not plan to carry out a terrorist attack. 
His infiltration has caused great concern in the defense establishment regardless, I'd say, as it is feared that he could have shown terrorists a way of entering Israel. After crossing the barrier, the Gaza man managed to catch a ride with an Israeli driver to the city of Nativot. He then turned himself there into police. There has been a dramatic rise in the number of attempts to kidnap IDF soldiers in the West Bank. 33 kidnapping attempts have been foiled since the beginning of the year, compared with 24 attempts during all of 2012. The Palestinians used kidnapped soldiers as bargaining chips for the release of terrorists incarcerated in Israeli jails. Syria pulled 20,000 troops from the Golan, and Israel is worried that the vacuum may be filled by terrorist organizations. Here, you think they'd be worried that there were 20,000 troops on their border, but now they're more worried. UN peacekeepers in the area were reduced after the kidnapping of a Philippine soldier, and Austrian peacekeepers are considering leaving the area altogether. It's going to be definitely, never mind a DMZ, that's going to be a no-man's land. Jordanian police arrested a group of teenagers who hacked into thousands of Israeli websites. Members of the group called Anonymous are part of a a larger group called the Third Intifada. The larger group threatened to hack Jordanian websites if the teens are not freed. Guatemala joined a list of countries to recognize Palestine as an independent state. A statement released by the Guatemalan president said that Guatemala values its relationship with Israel, but moved to recognize Palestine in order to further the peace process. And finally, 13 mezuzah scrolls were burned as they hung on the doorposts of a housing project in Brooklyn. A mezuzah is a scroll that is contained in a case which has in it two paragraphs from the book of Deuteronomy that says you should write them on doorposts of your house. Jews do these. They've been doing it for three millennia already. This is a local local uh, housing project in which has a lot of religious people in it. A local resident was arrested. Police are calling the burning a hate crime. And that's the news. Do you know the best place to buy fruit and vegetables? Why, it's at Frutasia. Located on Southfield Road, just south of the 13 Mile, Frutasia provides quality, value, and the most wonderful environment to shop. You'll enjoy the spacious aisles, excellent selection, great prices, and friendly staff at Frutasia on Southfield Road and 13 Mile. Herschel here. you're listening to the Jewish Hour. We have online Professor Nathan Aviezer, who's a professor of physics at Bar-Ilan University. He talks about Torah and science. How are you today, Professor Aviezer? I'm Aviezer. fine, thank you. Good to hear, good to hear. I'm so glad that you'll be, uh, that you've graced our airwaves this time with some busy time that you have. Tell, first of all, before we get into the, to this, the meat of the subject, which is one of my favorite, favorite all-time subjects, tell us about yourself a little bit. Well, I actually grew up in uh, uh, Detroit. I went to Wayne University, got my bachelor's degree there, and then I went to the University of uh, uh, Chicago for my Ph.D. and got my wife there, too, two for the first one. <laughs> you got a Ph.D. and, and then, an MRS, uh, okay. <laughs> after I, I did postdoctoral work with, at the University of Illinois with Professor John Bardeen, who is the only person ever to win two Nobel Prizes in physics. Wow. And, and then I, uh, I worked for several years at IBM in New York, and there I worked with, with Leo Isaki. Uh, 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 Isaki wasn't so smart; he only won one Nobel Prize. Okay. And uh, and then I went uh, uh, to Israel, and I've been at uh, Bar Ilan ever since for okay. about forty years. Terrific. What? And, uh, uh, in addition to uh, to my 
to my work in physics. I have a long-standing interest in uh, in uh, Torah and science. I'm here on on uh, on uh, on uh, lecture tour, speaking in various places about Torah and science. Okay, that's terrific. That's terrific. What's what specific part of physics do you? I work in solid-state physics, physics of materials. Okay, that's great. Okay, uh, as a kid, I was a young kid. I must have been maybe 12 or 13. I remember seeing a cartoon in, on an op-ed page. There were three theologians sitting on a cloud, and there was a ladder perched against the cloud. And on the top of the ladder, with his head poking up through the cloud, looking at the theologians, was a scientist. And the caption read, what took you so long? We've been waiting. The idea being is is that the theologians are waiting for the scientists to actually catch up. And it, was a, it, it impressed me that, yes, maybe science doesn't hold all the answers or maybe not doesn't hold all the answers yet. And that there is no contradiction or the contradictions can be weighed through, Professor Aviazer. What, what do you think? What's, is there... Uh, are they mutually exclusive to believe in God and to well, trust science? Well, th- this is a very interesting question. Everybody asks sooner or later the large questions of life. Where did the universe come from? Where did life come from? Where did people come from? The Torah has an answer to these questions in the first chapter of, say, for uh, uh, Genesis. And for hundreds of years, science had no idea what the answer to these questions was. But in the last few decades, all of this has changed. And for the first time in history, science also has an answer to these questions. So since we have a Torah answer and a scientific answer, it's interesting to compare these two answers. And remarkably, there's a remarkable correspondence and harmony between what the scientists have discovered at the end of the uh, 20th century and what we find written in our Holy Torah hundreds, thousands of years ago. And that's what my books are about. I, 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 can, I can give you examples. Okay, please do. Okay, the most important, the most interesting verse in the first chapter of the Torah is, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So the, the Torah tells us that the earth, that the universe began through an act of our creation. Creation, presumably for nothing, and for a long time, scientists thought that's impossible. You can't create something from nothing. And recently, there's been a reassessment. And the modern theory of cosmology, cosmology is the branch of science that, that deals with the origin of the, of the universe. The modern theory is called the Big Bang Theory of Cosmology. I'm sure everybody has uh, oh, sure. heard this term. This theory is supported by a vast array of scientific evidence. It is accepted by every cosmologist. It is taught in every university. The theory was awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics. And the central theme of the Big Bang Theory is that the universe began through an act of creation. I repeat, the universe began through an act of our our creation. And it's interesting to quote some of the world's leading authorities on on the subject. Mm -hmm. Let's start with Paul Dirac. Paul Dirac is a Nobel Prize winner from the University of, of uh, Cambridge and one of the towering giants of 20th century physics. Professor Dirac writes, quote, It seems certain 
that there was a definite time of 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 our, our creation, not that maybe or it's possible or it's likely. This Nobel Prize winner tells us it is certain. Professor Alan Goose from MIT is America's leading cosmologist. He writes, "Quote: The instant of creation remains unexplained." Another important cosmologist is Professor Joseph Philick, University of California. He recently wrote a book on the Big Bang entitled The Big Bang. And his very first title. sentence is, quote, The Big Bang is the modern scientific version of, of our creation. Finally, let, let me mention Professor Stephen Hawking, the cosmologist with a capital C, the superstar of the University of, of, our, of, of, of Cambridge. Cambridge. Professor Hawkins writes, the creation lies outside the scope of the known laws of physics. Okay, that's Today, all very interesting. Every scientist speaks of the creation of the, uh, of the universe and uses the term creation to describe what happened because today every scientist can take appropriate instruments, go to the laboratory, make appropriate measurements, and obtain clear and unequivocal scientific proof that the universe indeed began through an act of our creation. Creation isn't a matter of religious faith anymore. It is an established scientific result. Okay, now let me ask you, our guest, if you're just tuning in, is Professor Nathan Aviosi. He's a professor of physics at Bar-Ilan University and is lecturing here in North America on physics and uh, science and faith. I remember about seven or eight years ago listening to a program a radio program. It was a panel discussion of physicists. I don't remember any of the names, but I know one was from the University of Chicago, one of them was from Caltech, one was from MIT. And, places. Yes, and they were talking about the paradigm of the universe, say, five seconds after the Big Bang. They sat down and they mathematically calculated and based on whatever they based things on and were discussing it. And then I heard a program about two years ago maybe three, where they were discussing what the paradigm of the universe was at about five nanoseconds. So they've cut it down, like, considerably yeah. from five seconds to five billionths of a second yeah. as the paradigm of the universe. Now, And then I postulated, I said, well, if they can do that, they're probably going to maybe in, like, five years ago, they'll get down past picas, and I'm even not sure what's, what's less than a pica second, what, if, if there's a name for, for five quadrillionths of a second. Yeah, so, but what happens then is it seems like it's okay. What they can possibly do is just keep cutting the number in half. And if you keep cutting the number in half, you're never going to get there. Is that a correct assumption? Or is can we mathematically find God, do you think, Professor? Well, it's not a question of God. Let me say something about this. Every scientist that I mention in my book or in my lectures, I never mention a religious scientist. If he's religious, he makes twist things. Uh, and distort things to satisfy religious belief. Every scientist, I quote, is a complete atheist. To him, God doesn't exist. These scientists are not discussing God. And these scientists who say creation, they do not mean there's a religious element here. Creation to them means that the universe had a beginning. It suddenly came into appearance. That's what creation means to the scientists. Okay. The scientists are never going to find God because you don't find God through science. God is a matter of religious belief. Okay. Are they going to ever get to their primary cause, which is the way the Rambam actually defines God as being the first cause of creation? Well, as I said, they don't talk about, uh, uh, about God. 
they don't talk about causes to, to, to a scientist, how did the universe, it just, it just popped into being. Now, this is possible to something called quantum fluctuations, which I can't describe. It's, uh, it's, it's very, it's very uh, uh, technical, but there is no, not only is there no contradiction between what the scientist discovered and what the Torah says, if there is harmony. The Torah says the universe began through an act of creation. The scientists say the universe began through an act of, of our creation. That's harmony. What caused that creation, what caused the universe to appear, is a matter of, uh, of, uh, of, of uh, uh, belief. And, and therefore, there's no, I mean, it's more than that. Perhaps I could go one step further. What do we read on the first day of our creation? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. On the first day of creation, there's no sun and no stars and no moon and no bulbs and no people and no matches. And there's no source of light anybody ever heard of. And the Torah says, let there be light. And for thousands of years, nobody knew what these words meant and were told. It. The rabbis say, it's spiritual light, it's this, but it can't be physical light. Because they thought, there was no physical light before the sun. And how do scientists come and say, yes, there was. That's the way the world began. When they speak about creation, creation of what? The creation of the sudden appearance of an enormous ball of light, which scientists call the primeval light bulb. It has a popular name, Big Bang. That's the name of the theory. Exactly what the Torah tells us. The, the world, not only was it created, it was created through light. Exactly. That's what the harmony mm -hmm. that I'm speaking about is. My books are full of examples like this. There's harmony, consistency between the words of the Torah and the words of the scientists. Okay, let's let's flip it a little bit, the discussion, Professor Naviozer. Till now, it sounds like you've been trying to placate the scientists into accepting the Bible. But I, I, do I know, but I know that theologians get really stuffy in their opinions about things. And there's, there's a lot of fundamentalists, and we're talking about Jewish people also, yes. that the Bible is 100%. And so now what I'd like you to tell me is, what do you when you're talking to a group of rabbis, per se, and you'd like to convince them of the efficacy and truth in science and science theory, how do you go about doing that, Professor? Well, Professor? first of all, I don't want, I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. What I do is just point out the simple sentence, there's harmony between Torah and science. My view of science is it's not something which changes every day. The scientists are not fools who don't know what they're talking about. Science is a search for truth, and the scientists have found enormous amount of truth in various areas. One should not minimize what the scientists and it's in fact, it just mm -hmm. turns out that there is an enormous correspondence between the Torah and science. Not everything works. I'm not ashamed to say I can't explain everything. Of course, I talk about what I can explain, not what I cannot explain. Yeah. The fundamentalists have a view that every word in the Torah has to be taken literally. When they say, like I say, that the Torah is the word of God, on that we agree, but that does not mean that every word is to be understood literally. God speaks in parables, God speaks in analogies. So that is where I part company with the, with the fundamentalists. And it's not I that has made up this idea that the Torah speaks in uh, 
uh, analysis. Maimonides Rambam, 800 years ago, wrote what was probably the most important chapter ever written on, on Torah and science, Guide to the Perplexed, chapter, uh, Part 2, Chapter 25. He says, you don't have to understand every word. And he gives an example of the creation, of the days of creation. The six days of creation are not to be understood as six periods of 24 hours. The six phases or stages in the development of the universe. Mm-hmm. So, he said this 800 years ago when nobody had any questions. It's not uh, uh, apologetics because of embarrassing scientific questions. That's what he says is the proper way to understand Torah. Okay, so then that you would answer the uh, the question of six days of creation and the age of the universe being 5,773 years. Well, the six versus... days are not are not. You would like to days. you would like to call them epochs rather than yes. days. But it could be that the Almighty did create them in six days. Is it not possible? It's possible, but scientists tell us that's not what happened. Okay. So, <laughs> that's, that's why I believe that's not what happened, because mm-hmm. the scientists have, have unequivocal evidence that our universe is 14 billion years old. Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to argue about uh, the age of the universe, because no, we're not going to get anywhere with it, because no one was here back then anyway. So the uh... No, no, we don't have to be there back there. The scientists can tell you today, by measurements they make in 2012, how old the universe was. Right. So um, so what do you do when you, hit a, you come across a fundamentalist that says, no, six days is six what do days? I, do? I don't know what I do. I don't usually come across them because they live in their world and I live in my world. Uh, and, um, they have their view and I have my view. Uh-huh. <laughs> and two Jews have three opinions. That's also well. true. Yes. I, I happen to be, personally, I happen to be a, a, a fundamentalist and also an adherent of science. And when people ask me, like, about dinosaurs and whatnot, my, my answer is, is that when we look at the story of creation and Adam, so Adam was created as an adult, and no one's going to argue to say that Adam was not an adult. The story says he was created. He was created. He's called Adam, man. He's called a, a man who implies man, not boy. So, and we're actually told that he was 35 years old. So the day that Adam opened up his eyes on day one, he was 35. So if that'd be the case, so 5,773 years later, so we can have things that God created that were uh, 3, 4, 5, 14 billion years old. But they were created 5,773 years ago. I'm sure, uh, Professor Avias, you've heard of that uh, theory yes, postulated. Well, there, there, there are two reasons I don't buy that. First of all, you don't have to... Invoke miracles every place. It's not just Adam. You have to invoke miracles to explain every single thing. And to me, and a correspondence between Torah and science shouldn't be based on many, many miracles. And second of all, I wonder why did God make these fossils and put them in the rocks and make the radioactive particles which tell me about the age of the universe? And why did he make the geology look this way? And why did he make all these various things to make universe look old. Oh, that's very interesting question, and the way I come back and answer this, I've been asked this question, is if everything that we had in the world can only be dated back 5,700 years, what would be our conclusion about creation that it must have happened 5,700 years ago, and therefore we would lack the free choice of any kind of scientific uh, investigation to come up with a, a, a freely chosen conclusion that it must be 14 billion years. 
that's how I would answer that that last question. But I don't do very well with God with why God questions. I may always make a caveat. I never, okay. second, I never second guess God. So, okay. so anyway, so the, uh, the this, this, this is actually says at the onset. This is actually one of my absolute favorite topics in discussing uh, the relationship between science and faith. And if you're just tuning in, which you should have tuned in at eleven o'clock, by the way, just to, you know, just to let you people know. That we are speaking with Professor Nathan Aviezer. He's a professor of physics at Bar Ilan University. Now, Bar Ilan itself is, provides probably the proper, the, the perfect medium for a person like yourself, would you not? Yes, it is. Because I it's. I give a course in Torah and science, and I have hundreds of students, and they, in fact, Torah and science is, is one of their, of their big things, so, so they're very happy with my work. Yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, just the whole, the whole medium of Bar Ilan is, is you have. People who are are faith based, who are studying science and and et cetera, so right. it it provides it, it. Now, so a person who's like the head of the department of uh, of uh, physics at you're not the department chair, you're just a, you're, you are a professor, correct? Yes, I'm. Okay, okay. so you have a person who's like the chair, who's like representing it's, uh, it's physics. A rotating job, yeah. Okay, who's representing physics? That's his job is to represent physics. In a religious institution, it's sort of like, how does a person like that deal with this pulling of two, uh, two philosophies? Well, we don't think science is a philosophy. Science is an attempt to understand how the, how the world operates. And there's, there's one, no civic department in the world mentions religion. Mm-hmm. We have other nature, and the nature tells us how things go. So whether a person is a believer or a non-believer, it has no effect on his scientific work. So there really isn't any problem of any sort. Uh-huh. So it, it seems, it's actually, yeah. when you say that, it seems surprising to me, is because you do have, uh, I mean, I'm, not, I'm sure that I would take a guess that not everybody who attends Bar-Alan University is a religious. Would that, no, that be correct? No. Students okay. not have to be, half the students are not religious. But what they have to do is they have to take courses in uh, in Jewish studies. They don't have to observe the religion, but they have to know about the religion. Mm-hmm. So every student has to take seven courses in Jewish studies. He can choose what he wants. There's a large uh, amount. My course uh, is one of the courses that the, that the, that the, that the students uh, can take to satisfy this re- requirement. Mm-hmm. About half the students are, are observant, half are believers, half are not believers, but the faculty is sort of 90% uh, observant. Mm-hmm. Would would that be would it be contradictory if a physics professor actually did use the word God? No. Okay. Because I mean, I'm thinking of my, my most own. universities, non-religious people use the word God. Okay, that's good too. It's not a dirty I mean, word. In my in my personal uh, travels as a, uh, a high school student, what really got me focused on religion, being raised in a non-practicing, non-thinking about Judaism type home. Yeah. Back in the early '70s, was a physics teacher who was explaining quantum mechanics to the class, and I just said, "I don't understand this." And she she explained it again. I said, "No, no, no, no." I said, "I got the equations, which filled up a whole you know three blackboards over there on the on yeah. the wall." I said, "I got it, but why does it do that?" And uh, she said, "Well, that's because that's the way God made it happen." So well, that's a religious answer, right? So. It, it got me thinking, well, maybe this science is just a little bit, the blanket is just a little too short. 
That was what my conclusion was at that point yes, as a, as a 16-year-old. deal with these questions of why. Now, science deals with questions of what. Okay. That's terrific. Okay. Um, we have to, this is unfortunate. I, I could, unfortunately, I could talk about this for Philip the whole entire show, but we're done with this segment of the show. We want to thank you so much, Professor Nathan Aviezer, Professor of Physics of Bar-Alan, who's around touring, touring the, uh, the country, talking about science and faith. We wish you continued success, and uh, let us know what happens next time you're back in town. Thank you very much. Okay, take care. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Chiropractic Healthcare offers patients the advantage of a safe and natural method of healing without the use of drugs or surgery. People of all ages, including children, benefit from chiropractic's unique approach to health. Call area code 248-557-1818 today to find out how chiropractic can benefit your family. At the Solomon Chiropractic Center, we especially love children. All kids should have their spines checked periodically throughout their crucial growing years. Growth on a crooked foundation will create a crooked spine and become harder to correct later in life. Kids love to get adjusted at the Solomon Chiropractic Center. And hey moms, did you know that chiropractic offers a safe, drug-free approach to helping with the many pains women often get during and after pregnancy? We even have special tables which open up so pregnant women can lay on their stomachs. We treat moms, dads, children, and grandparents with arthritic pains, neck pains, back pain, and headaches. People of all ages, including kids, benefit from chiropractic. Come experience the natural method of healing without the use of drugs or surgery. Stop living in pain. Call area code 248-557-1818 today for a free consultation at the Solomon Chiropractic Center to discuss you and your family's health needs. Remember, 557-1818. That's 557 Hi Hi. Hey, Schulfinman here. You are listening to the Jewish Hour. Reminder again that you can get kosher meat and kosher carryout at Frutasia as far in addition to all those wonderful fruits and vegetables that you can get. I love it. We got some PSAs over here. Join the Wayne State Con Haddo Center of Judaic Studies and University Library System for the opening of a new exhibit, Judaism in the American Home, today at 2 p.m. in the Community Room. That's on the third floor of the David Adamani Undergraduate Library on Wayne State University. Opening remarks by Professor Ori Soltis, Georgetown University, and Mrs. Constance Harris, donor of the Jewish Heritage Collection, and uh, this is, looks like a big thing. I'm actually planning on going. We have another one next Sunday, the 21st at 1 p.m. at the JCC in Oak Park. There will be a holiday remembrance service sponsored by United Jewish Organizations entitled First, Second, and Third Generation Survivors. This will be a, uh, a memorial service dedicated to the millions of martyrs who were murdered by the Nazi Holocaust. Does your organization have some kind of function you'd like publicized? Well, send it to rabbifinman.com, and we will do the trick. We will say, announce it over here, and of course, being it's a public service announcement, there is, of course, no charge, and we love to do it. That's why we're here. Speaking of why we're here, let's listen to a little music. We are doing the a cappella stuff as Jews are in a quasi-state of mourning for the next five weeks and change in commemoration and memorial of the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva who died suddenly in a plague during the 33 days between Passover and Shavuos. This is Ari Lesser. The song is called Kosher Kind. 
I don't eat animals, not my style. It's been that way for quite some while. But if it came a time when I changed my mind, I would only dine on the kosher kind. No camel, high racks, or rabbit meat. They chew their cud, but got the wrong feet. Don't eat no pig rolling in the mud. Split hoof, but it just doesn't chew his cud. I don't endorse eating donkey, of course. Serve your husband horse, and that's grounds for divorce. Giraffes are kosher, but how the heck do you know where to check on an eight-foot neck? I keep the laws of kashrut. My jaws don't touch no flesh from a beast with paws. I don't eat no bear, no canine dogs, no weasel, porcupine, or hedgehogs, no feline cats, no mouse. No rats, no creepy blood sucking vampire bats, no monkeys and no chimpanzees, and I won't eat you, so please don't eat me. I don't eat animals, not my style. Been that way for quite some while, but if there came a time when I changed my mind, I would only dine on the kosher kind of get sick just thinking about carry on picking. Buzzards and vultures, I stick with the chicken. Got no craving for ravens and crows, I'm saving my appetite if you're serving those. No penguin wing and no emu leg, I don't want no scrambled ostrich egg and no. No parrot, no matter how you prepare it, spare it. I just snack on a carrot, take a bite from a bagel, but not from a seagull, no kite, no hawk, no falcon, or eagle. I'm on a diet where I stay away from all kind of raptors and birds of prey, and no fowl like an owl with the big eyes staring. Won't see me tearing to the flesh of a heron. No piece of stork on the end of my fork, cause that white meat's kosher like a piece of pork. And I don't eat animals, not my style. It's been that way for quite some while, but if there came a time when I changed my mind, I would only dine on the kosher kind. I don't eat no creepy crawling things, no lizard legs and no insect wings, no slithering snakes and no wiggling worms crawling around on the ground getting covered in germs. I'm no ant eater. I can't stand bugs, no spiders, no centipedes, no slugs. I pass on the cockroach. Thank you, please. I take some honey. You can keep the bees. No scorpion with the poison tail. No escargot. I don't eat snail. Never have frog leg like they do in France. I wouldn't try that trafe if I had the chance. No amphibian. No reptile, no salamander, new toad, turtle, crocodile, feed me a chameleon, I think I'll scream, and my face might turn from brown to green, cause I don't eat animals, not my style, been that way for quite some while, but if it came a time when I changed my mind, I would only dine on the kosher kind, I only eat seafood with fins and scales, no walrus, dolphins, or humpback whales, no seahorse, sea lions, sea snails, no crab legs, no red lobster tails, no manatees like the Japanese, no nasty sea urchin sushis, Sorry, I don't do calamari, squid, and octopuses in Ferrari. Peanut butter, no jellyfish. I put one in my bowl, I break the dish. No prawn, no krill, no shrimp. I still never had crawdad, don't think I will. I don't make my meals with moray eels. No oyster shellfish or elephant seals. No great white hammerhead when I swim. A shark might bite me, but I won't bite him. Cause I don't eat animals, not my style. Been that way for quite some while. But if it came a time when I changed my mind, I would only dine on the kosher kind. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Hey, Shulfenman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We are continuing with some acapella music. This is Yisrael Williger, Zarachai Vikayim, Living and Eternal Children. That's us.
accepting students. Whether you're a real beginner or have been at it for a lifetime, the Art Studio of Oak Park has something for you. All levels welcome, all ages welcome. Private tutoring or small friendly classes. Flexible hours available. The Art Studio of Oak Park is very affordable. Make your life better. Put art into your life. The Art Studio of Oak Park offers lessons in a strictly kosher environment. Call today, 248-542-5087. That's 248- 542-5087. It's great having an art room right in the neighborhood. 
Hey, Shulton, and here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. We've got time for one more piece. This is the Maccabees, and the piece is called Shine. I see a light reflection, refraction. Is it nothing more than a chemical reaction? It flickers and grows. Nobody knows how much we feel, how quickly it goes. Turn off the dark and vanquish the night. Show the whole world for eight days at twilight. Then and now, they fall and we fight. Fight for the right to live by our own light. Let me see the light. Give me something to live by. Let me A million times, how bad sound, how fast enough to go around the world that we live in, how bad and strife, how bad the light to warm out the light for the darkest night, the brightest light, how bad for you to shine, a little dedication, a little illumination, how bad for you to shine, how bad for you to shine, how bad for you to Myself in my reflection, shine tonight. Let me shed the light in each direction, shining bright. Shine. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800.
You know the best place to buy fruit and vegetables? Why, it's at Frutasia. Located on Southfield Road, just south of the 13 Mile, Frutasia provides quality, value, and the most wonderful environment to shop. You'll enjoy the spacious aisles, excellent selection, great prices, and friendly staff at Frutasia on Southfield Road and 13 Mile. Herschel Finman, here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. This week is the portion of Achrimos and Kedoshim, the double portion thereof. It is found in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, and following in chapter 20, verse 8. This is what we're going to focus on over here today. It says, and uh, I am sight translating, that you shall keep my statutes and do them. I, God, make you holy. It doesn't get much simpler than that. The directive that comes, this is a very long portion. It starts chapter 16, goes all the way to chapter 21. There are numerous commandments mentioned there, all of them with the idea of attaining what we call holiness. What does the word holy mean? The word kadosh in Hebrew means to be separated, removed from the mundane. We could ask, well, who wouldn't want to be holy? The other answer to that question might be is, then, well, who would want to be evil? No one wants to be a wicked dude. Everybody wants to be holy. And so the easiest way to achieve, quote-unquote, holiness, which means removal from the profane and the mundane, is to do what it says in the five books of Moses in the Bible. Yes, that's like a no-brainer. There is a very popular statement from the Talmud said by one Rabbi Hananiah ben Akasha. What did he say? The Almighty wanted to find a favor with people. Therefore, he gave them lots of commandments to do. We look at the commandments as, say, like a burden. Everybody's got stuff they have to do, and there's stuff you can't do. You can't have a society. You want to go live in a cave and be a caveman and have nothing to do with anybody else, then you don't need rules. That's fine. But if you're going to have a personal interaction then you have to have rules. And rules have been set down. As long as there's been history, as long as people have been cognitive, there have been rules. The purpose of these rules are to allow us to function, to get to live together with one another. If it were to be, I'm going out of a limb here making a prediction, that people en masse, say like, seven point whatever billion people that occupy this globe were to begin adhering to the commandments as stated in the Bible, the world would be so much better without a doubt, without a question. Crime would go through the floor. Poverty would go through the floor. The economy would go through the roof. It would just be a whole lot better place. Now, 
man once came to the third Lubavitcher Rebbe and he said, you know, he's been alive so many and so many years and he just, he can't understand why it is that he hasn't left his mark on the world. Why hasn't he made the world a better place? So the rabbi responded to him, the world's a, a big place. Have you made your mark, say, on uh, Russia? Russia, if you know, no, stretches across seven time zones. He says, no, I haven't made any mark on Russia. He says, well, have, Russia's pretty big. How about your your province? Have you made any progress with your province? He says, no. He said, what about your county? He said, no. What about your, your village? Said, no. What about your family? No. What about yourself? When you make a mark, when you make a change within yourself for the better, it will have a positive effect on your family, which will have a positive effect on your village, which will have a positive effect on your county, which will have a positive effect on your province, a positive effect on your country, and a positive effect on the world, and indeed the entire universe and spectrum of creation. It all begins right with you. Jews have 613 commandments. Non-Jews have seven commandments. Not to uh, to believe in God, not to believe in idols, not to commit adultery, theft, or murder, not to be cruel to animals, and to establish courts of law, legislative bodies, and police horses to administer the other six. Do those, you're holy. For the Jews, it's like a burden. 613 commandments. But if I gave you a 100-pound bag of diamonds and said it's yours, but you have to carry it a certain distance, you'd want to know if you could get another one, too. Speaking of another one, too, we're going to take another commercial break. We'll be right back. This is, like you say, a very inspiring story. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Some of the best jobs in the world are in the radio and television industry, and you, too, can join the workforce in as little as eight months when you complete your hands-on training at the Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts located in Southfield, Michigan. At Spex Howard School, students get to play and learn at the same time. Imagine spending your class time behind the microphone, spinning music and hosting your own radio show, or designing and lighting a set for your own TV program, running a camera, learning to edit, directing a program. When you go to Specs, your day will be anything but dull. And if school is this fun, imagine how exciting it is to work in the growing industry. In addition, the credits you earn while attending Specs Howard School are currently accepted at 14 area colleges and universities. If you've always wanted the best job in the world, call for a tour of Spex Howard School at 248-358-9000. That's 248-358-9000. And visit them on the web at spexhoward.edu. Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts. This is where you start. Hi, this is Spex Howard from the Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts. We're happy to sponsor the Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding for the Jewish Hour comes from its sponsors, it's listeners like you that help keep the Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to The Jewish Hour, 14,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan, 48237. That's 14,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan, 48237. Your help is greatly appreciated. Hey, Shulfin, and here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. If you want to get in touch with me, the bestest, easiest way is to go to my website, rabbifinman.com, R-A-B-B-I-F-I-N-M-A-N, right in the front of the thing over there. You don't have to go anyplace else. It says contact us, and you can contact us, and we'll contact you, and we'll be best buddies. 
What else is there? Well, we have archive editions of the show. We have the Hasidic U story, the Hasidic, the uh, U Parsha, the E Parsha, all there for your knowledge and entertainment. And of course, the very important donations page. I got a lot of feedback this week. It's very interesting of people who say they listen to my program. Something one person even said, I listen to your program religiously. And I say, what do I say to them? Thank you very much. Go to the donations page and please contribute. We're still working on March, believe it or not, and here it is the middle of April. So RabbiFinman.com, donations page, pick a number, any number, make up your own number. They're all good. It's all tax deductible. God loves you. I will love you. You will love yourself because you get to listen to me further because we've been on the air now and going into our 18th year. And we'd like to continue, and you'd like us to continue, too. That's why you're listening. Don't want to do it that way? Drop a line in the mail to The Jewish Hour, 14,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan, 48237. Hasidic story. It's actually, I don't know if you would call it a Hasidic story, but it's a story definitely of inspiration. There was a woman who simply I know as Mrs. Tuman, who was born in Belarus, she was married in Belarus. She had a child in Belarus when she was 32 years old with a master's in computer programming and was one of the top computer analysts in Belarus. She decided that making good money, that Belarus was not a place to raise a Jewish child. And in 1992, came to the United States. Shortly thereafter, moved to Cleveland. Shortly thereafter, her husband of six years or so, disappeared, and so did all of the money that they brought with them. And so here she is, Mrs. Tuman. She didn't speak any English. She had a five-year-old kid, and she was left with nothing. But she was quite determined. She called up her landlord to explain the situation, give her some time. She took on menial jobs, odd jobs, because... 1992, they weren't using mainframes anymore like they were doing in Belarus. She was an expert on mainframes, but there was no more mainframes. And so her skills were outdated. So she went back to school, working as, as uh, babysitters and lunch ladies. Don't ever make fun of the lunchroom ladies. You never know. And her five-year-old son, she wanted, she came to America for him to become Jewish to get a Jewish education. And so she enrolled him in, the, in the, one of the schools in Cleveland. And the son came home from school and he said, she'd say, what did you learn today? And he'd say, we learned that you have to have separate dishes, milk and meat. And instead of her saying, no, no, we don't do that, she said, let's go do that. And she got herself some more dishes. And he'd come, the kid home would come home every day and he would tell his mother what it was that he was learning and the olive base. And soon Mrs. Tuman became very much enthralled with Judaism. Every year the school would approach her and they would say to her, Mrs. Tuman, we want to give you tuition for Boris for free. And she would say, I can't pay full tuition, but I'm going to pay something. I'm not taking it for free. And so she continued to work. She finally did get a job. She, she got her degree in uh, computer engineering and went to work here and became more and more and more involved to the point that we would call her a religious woman. It says that she had, every single week, she would go through five or six books concerning the portion of the week. And then her son got married, 
um, just recently. And unfortunately, some years ago, Mrs. Tuman was diagnosed with ALS, and she passed away this week. She passed away, but she's left a legacy of uh, children, a child, and hopefully grandchildren, Dore Doris, that will be adherent to the laws of Judaism. And she got, she came to America, and she got what she came here for. That's going to do it for the show. We thank you so much for tuning in. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. And we hope to see you again and back again next week. Take care. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 